Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, the ultimate film and TV podcast. We are your hosts, James and Anthony. This episode will be on Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. Hello, movie friends. Welcome back to the show. We're very excited to be talking about Edgar Wright's excellent film, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. We actually just did it. With our Discord watch party last weekend, we were inspired to do an episode on it because it's such an excellent film. How are you doing today, Jim? I'm doing great. This was directed by Edgar Wright, written by Eric Bacall and Edgar Wright, based on the graphic novel by Brian Lee O'Malley. Rotten Tomatoes has Scott Pilgrim vs. the World listed at an 82% critic score, 84% audience score. IMDb has this at a 7.5 on a budget of $85 million dollars. This movie bombed and only grossed $49 million globally. However, in its first week of home media release in the United States, the DVD sold 190,000 copies, earning $3.4 million in revenue. And by 2011, the film had earned $27 million just from home United States sales. So I think by now, this film has probably turned a profit, but it took about 12 years to do so. Yeah, because they don't split the profits of home releases and DVDs with anyone except for them. They just take all the money. So the studio recouped its cost. But it's interesting that it was such a, a box office dud because Edgar Wright, amazing cast, really fun, unique thing that you had never seen before on film. There are so many fans of video games and comic books and I think this came out maybe a little too early for it's audiences. like Watchmen. It was too ahead of its time. It's, it's interesting. I wonder why it was such a failure because— Well, it, I mean, Edgar Wright, his films are great, but they they're, never, not, they're yeah. not globally or commercially very, very successful movies. I, I think Baby Driver is his biggest hit. They'll in, make their in, money back and yeah. some profit, but he's not making like a box office booms ever. His, his movies are modestly successful. That's right. They're, cult, they're all cold classics, yeah. just like this movie has become. But I think—I don't know. I, I would say the reason for it not working— I'm not sure that audiences ever took to Michael Sarah as a leading man. I think that might be a reason why. I think he's perfectly cast in this movie, and he did a terrific job. But his like his career never really worked out leading films. Uh, he was in after Super Bad. He got a lot of films as the lead, and it kind of he kind of tapered out. And now he's doing a lot of supporting stuff nowadays. I don't think that audiences really ever fell in love with him as like leading a movie. I, I don't know if it's that. For me, I think it's probably because the style of this movie is unlike any other film ever made. In terms of comic book to film adaptations, you could argue that Scott Pilgrim vs. The World is the best comic book to film adaptation in terms of contextually speaking, translating the concepts, the mood, the style of a comic book directly to film. It's probably the best ever made. Then Sin City, Sin City might be yeah. after that. But besides that, most comic book movies, they're just movies with superheroes, the characters from the comic book, rather than Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. Edgar Wright took the style of a comic book of these comics and just comics and video games in general and made something completely new, refreshing, highly stylized, enormously fun. And, you know, when you think about how how many devoted longtime gamers that played games from the 80s, 90s, all these references from this movie and this game would go to see this in theaters, probably not as many as you think compared to the movies that were coming out at the time. Yeah, I guess that's also why I just think this movie is really, really fantastic, really special. There's nothing like it. It's so creative. He And Edgar did so much with his editing that he still hadn't done before. Like this, ed the editing in this movie might be the best he's ever done. It's very creative. I mean, he'll cut a shot of... Of, of Scott, it'll be a shot of him, and then he'll cut to the same setup from a different location, and it's seamless. 
And I love the transitions he does in this film. I think it might be my favorite that he's done in all of his movies. And on top of that, the creativity with so many titles, so much, so many graphics and visual effects put into the frames that are comic book related or video game related. I think that this movie is really special. It kind of, um, when I watch it, it kind of feels like a Wes Anderson tone and humor in a lot of ways. A digital Wes, yeah, Anderson, if, Wes Anderson. If, if Wes Anderson made a video game movie, it feels like like how the characters speak, uh, their sense of humor, the dryness of it. It's very Wes Anderson-y, and I like it a lot. I think it works really well. Incredible editing. The transitions, like, those are so unique. We have so many dolly wipes and zooms and abrupt changes. Like, Scott will be doing this thing here, and then his bandmate will scream on, on camera in his ear, and then it cuts to them at band practice. Like, it was a seamless transition because you're kind of just, like, lost inside Scott Pilgrim's head. So unique. Also, sound effects to go with transitions and they're really disorienting. And I think my favorite yeah. shot in this entire movie is there's tons of great visual effects, but I think my favorite shot is a great transition to a new set location, not a cut scene where Scott, he's goes to the bathroom to go pee. And he has that little video grain pee meter that, that empties <laughs> up. And then obviously he closes the door when he comes in, he opens the door again. And it's no longer his home on the other side of the door. It's the set has been changed. The shot has all not been one cut. Take. It's all yeah. practical, and now we're inside of a high school hallway. It's like really cool creative filmmaking, whether it's visual effects, CGI, or practical filmmaking like that. And lights. He does a lot of light work where lights will turn on and off and transition. Things that are very theatrical you'll see in a play, and you rarely see them in movies. Uh, some filmmakers will, will do it uh, if it suits the tone of what they're approaching in terms of visually telling the story. But uh, in this film, he does it a lot where the lights will turn out, the lights will turn on kind of you can they're being controlled to help service the story that's something that you rarely see but it really works with a lot of the scenes in this one and there's so much typography to make it yes, feel like yeah. a comic book movie we have letters and words appearing out of characters mouths they're flowing out of character actions or or voices doorbells phone rings sound effects we have video game metaphors whether it be the little things like little graphics here and there like the p meter bar stuff like that um, the one up. That's my favorite one. The yeah, one up. The le Get, extra life. What are you doing? Getting a life. <laughs> uh, PO, a POWs, a 64 hit combo. So many video game references. I have a huge list of yeah. video game references. Even the sound effects where you have like the voiceover. It's Bill Hader actually did all the video game voices. Oh, really? <laughs> when you hear like the narration, like finish it, it was all Bill Hader. But then also you hear the music of a lot of well loved video games like Zelda. So, Let's hear the list. All right. So this is the list of video game references or, or like my favorite video game references from Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. It opens opens up with that great pixelated universal logo with the 8-bit or chiptune music style of the theme. The 8-bit universal logo at the beginning of the film was Edgar Wright's idea. It was then designed by his brother, Oscar Wright, the concept designer and storyboard artist of this film. I didn't even know that. He had a brother that he must have done the, the He must have done the art for all of his movies then. And the logo, the logo scene in the film is actually only a first draft of it. It was not yet considered finished when the test screenings began, but audiences reacted so positively to it that it was decided that no further work needed to be done. It's great. Like when that when that studio logo comes up and it's in the 8-bit, it's really fun and it sets the tone immediately. You know what you're getting into. Absolutely. We have a ton of Zelda music and themes for multiple games all over this movie. Attributes and ratings for each character. I like how Scott's sister is rated T for teen like a bunch of old video games <laughs> where we have uh, their band name Sex Bob-Bombs. That's a reference to the Bob-Bombs from Super Mario, Super Mario 2. Those are the, the bombs with the ticking timer. Oh, Bob-Bombs. Yeah. Bob-Bombs. And then we have Ninja Ninja Revenge is a reference to Dance Dance Revolution. Street Fighter is referenced all over this movie. You know, we have the two people facing off on a 2D plane with the verses in between them, as well as sound effects like KO, Puckman or Pac-Man, ton of Sonic sound effects as well and themes. Clash at the Demon at Demon Head is also the name of an NES game as well as the the name of the band of Scott's ex-girlfriend. The Double Dragon twins are referenced with the twins that, in this movie, the DJing twins that they battle. Nega Scott is a reference to <laughs> Dark Link or Evil Ryu. Also, Prince of Persia has a dark version yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mortal Kombat's referenced all over, this, all, over the, all over this movie as well with Finish Him. Scott Pilgrim plays the bass line for Final Fantasy IV battle theme during rehearsal. Scott is wearing a shirt with the bass icon from the Rock Band games during the battle against the Katayanagi twins. Scott receives an extra life or a one-up after his fight with the Katayanagi twins. Uh, what else? Scott's stats increase when he receives the power in love, power of love, and the power of self-respect. Stat increases are common in role-playing games, RPGs. 
the bodies of Scott and Knives pulse red when they are low in health. Same thing with G-Man, which is a characteristic of weakened of weakened boss characters in brawlers and beat 'em ups. Obviously, you remember that from Ninja Turtles, most iconically. <laughs> and the ending I love is the ending. Continue. Three, two, <laughs> one. So, so many little great video game references all over the mo- those this movie. Those are just a handful though, that I really like. And it's um all, all these things they can be expensive if the company making the film doesn't own them. In and uh, Nintendo, they didn't have any rights to the stuff. But the way Edgar Wright got the music for Zelda, which is really a, a great moment in the film is he wrote a letter to Nintendo uh, asking them for me- for permission to use the rights. They didn't actually have to pay for it. So his letter was, like, I guess so endearing and, and so kind. And, like, they were just like, okay, well, you can use the music for this film since it's, it's being done for good reasons. Well, you can imagine Edgar Wright and so many artists and filmmakers or or any kind of creator out there, they wouldn't be where they're at without Nintendo and without their old NES game console and playing those games and getting inspiration and all these ideas teeming in their head from playing Nintendo video games. So you can see, I'm sure, the influence of Nintendo on his life was enormous, especially with this film. Yeah, and Scott Pilgrim actually has a lot of references to the Smashing Pumpkins in this film. His T-shirt, it says SP with a heart on it. That's actually the Smashing Pumpkins logo. And the the writer of the novel of the graphic novels was a huge fan of Smashing Pumpkins, and I think one of the characters is also named after the lead singer of Smashing Pumpkins. Billy Corgan. Yeah, Billy. Billy Lee Corgan, I believe, is is his middle name. So Lucas Lee. Yeah, Lucas Lee. <laughs> yeah, uh, Brian Lee O'Malley, who wrote it. Uh, huge Smashing Pumpkins fan. Yeah. So so one of well, the, isn't one of the one of the one of the graphic of the fil- novels, right? One of the film's acts is called The Infinite Sadness, which is. A Smashing Pumpkins album. It's a reference to Melancholy as well, that album. And, oh, nice. Uh, and one of the Scott Pilgrim books is called Scott Pilgrim and the Infinite Sadness. Verse the Infinite Sadness and the Infinite Sadness, which, which also is a direct reference to Smashing Pumpkins. I believe Verse the World is the second book. Yeah, from what I, I think yeah, there's six, seven, six or graphic seven, yeah. novel editions that all compile one story. And this movie was basically an adaptation of all those put together. So I suppose each book he fights at 1x. Was my guess probably or yeah. a couple because there's yeah. seven. There's the, there's the twin, yeah. The, the concept twins. though by Brian Lee O'Malley is based on two premises. The first was the idea of what if after a life of playing video of fighting video games, someone confronted you and you actually had the ability to fight like a Street Fighter character. So obviously just using his imagination in the real world. And the second concept came about when Brian Lee O'Malley was dating his future wife Hope Larson when he learned that she had dated three different guys named Matthew. O'Malley came up with the idea of a League of Matthews. This idea developed into the League of Evil Exes. Matthew Patel is the only evil ex to keep the name Matthew in this film. And also, Matthew Patel is the only evil ex that Scott Pilgrim defeats by himself. (laughs) (laughs) And um, the way Edgar Wright approached this film, and when you know this, it actually makes total sense. He actually used the format of of a musical. So in a musical, you'll have scenes and dialogue, and then they'll dance. break out into song and dance for like four or five minutes and then that's the the pacing of a musical it's movie dance movie dance movie dance movie dance dance movie dance yeah but so he approached it the same <laughs> way where you have some dialogue and scenes then you have a fight dialogue and scenes then you have a fight you have some scenes then you have a fight so instead of singing and dancing they're fighting instead so if you actually look at it through the the lens of a musical it is actually follows the exact same format that a musical would that's pretty funny i yeah. never thought about it like that the music of this film is one of the great strengths as well, in addition to all the visual effects and everything and references. Excellent soundtrack, as well as an original score from Nigel Godric. Sex Bomb was the band name of Scott's band, and the four cast members that made up the band Sex Bomb spent several weeks learning how to play together as a band and actually recorded the music for the movie. Mark Webber, Allison Pill, and Johnny Simonsall. Simons all had to learn their instruments from scratch. However, Michael Serra is an excellent bassist and actually had to thumb dumb down his bass routines in order to not outshine his bandmates. So they actually recorded their own songs. And the person who wrote the songs for Sex Bomb and a lot of the music for the film was Beck. He wrote the original songs and he also helped get all the contributions and other artists to work on the music as well. Because Metric has a song in this film as well that they made and and uh, Brie Larson sings the vocals on. So the Clash of the Demon Head song is a song by Metric. She did a good job. It, Great vocals. When you watch it, you're like, oh, that's definitely her voice singing. It's definitely. You're like you can recognize it's her voice. And Beck, he wrote 32 songs 
in 32 hours, according to Edgar Wright. Yeah. So in a day and a half, he wrote all the all the songs. Because he's a genius, but yeah. also he like won- he, when he makes albums, he does everything himself, basically and every he, instrument. He, and so his idea was his basically when he took on this project, he's like his biggest qualm with garage bands and movies is their sound is too pristine, it's too perfect. So he wanted to make it sound amateurish and very grungy, and like this isn't actually a band that's just operating outside of a living room, outside of a garage. That's why. The songs are great. They're very catchy, especially the ones chosen for the film. But there's still a very amateur quality to it. Oh yeah, and, and they're they're very loud. And you sometimes you can't even hear what the lyrics are. But I like that. It feels like it's just like a real band. And I love the opening, like the the prologue of the film with the band doing rehearsal in the living room, and the living room just stretches out, and it's, it looks like this endless, huge, long uh, room. And then also he does this terrific title cards of very colorful neonish it really suits the tone of the film the style of the film and it kind of reminded me of like like Saul Bass's title cards for Casino very colorful obviously very different styles but like it reminded me of that Scorsese film title card sequence and the visual effects are stunning in this movie in visual effects supervisor Fraser Churchill described the look as tricky to achieve calling the film style and appeal very high-tech images with a low-fi feel Churchill was interviewed by MTV in August 2010 about the effects in the film. He noted that some of the work was more complex because of a shooting ethic of rights, that there should be a physical representation of any post-production effects, saying that whenever the image flashes in the shots, every punch, sword, or clash or something, those were actual flashes. Those were not created by CGI on set with photo flashbulbs, and then they add CGI afterwards so that's why it looks like a great blend of practical and cgi effects whenever there's these great battle sequences that's a great point because oftentimes the cgi the the filmmakers they don't plan for what that cgi effect will look like uh, in terms of light pouring onto an actor or a set and we actually talk about this with the modern star wars films and, and tv shows how Using real lightsabers on set, not real. <laughs> using light, like colored, sa- colored sabers, colored sabers that are projecting actual light uh, for whatever color they are. You see that light pour onto the actors' faces and set, and on their clothing and arms and stuff. So it feels like it's there. Whereas oftentimes, before, like with movies that don't really put that attention to detail on set during the practical shooting, you get these these cool CGI moments, but then it's not really poor. Like whatever's happening isn't really affecting the world. Or the, uh, or the actors in the frame. And so that kind of subconsciously, I think, kind of takes you out of it. Whereas if, like, this is an example where the light's actually pouring onto Michael Sarah's face for whatever effect it is, makes it feel like it's really happening. Also, whenever one of the evil exes dies and bursts into coins, the set in the production crew would empty buckets of silver mylar so the actors had something to react to. Do you think that they are actually dead? <laughs> the evil exes? Yeah. Um, Does, is, is Scott actually literally... The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy-on, easy-off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Are you killing them? I don't know, because <laughs> Ramon just clearly specifically says defeat. Like, you have to defeat. Yeah, but some of them are like, they just become coy. I, I yeah. think they're, I th- maybe. I think they're dead. Maybe they're dead. Because, like, he only he only came back because he had the one up. Like, yeah, that's true. Yeah, they're the probably dead. Life. And then like, Gideon's dead. Yeah, Gideon's dead. Yeah. So, yeah, he's I think they're him. all dead. <laughs> <laughs> probably. Except, except for the vegan, because he got taken away. He was arrested, right? Vegan yeah. police. <laughs> But this film has a great combination of matte paintings as well, blue screens, and practical chips, tricks. And the opening tell sequence was designed by Richard Kenworthy. And it was shot in Canada, eh, Casey? Canada. is actually this movie, they say, 
was specifically shot to capture the feel and, and vibe of the specific neighborhood in was it Toronto? Yeah, it's like this like three block circumference of just like <laughs> they were trying to capture the mood. Of. I, lo- I love when Scott finds out Ramona's American. He's like American. <laughs> it's like it's a foreign like European. <laughs> <laughs> and I, what I really think makes the, the film work more than anything though is the cast. And the movie is really perfectly cast in every role. Everyone from Scott with Michael Sarah to Allison Pill playing Kim. I think everyone really did a standout job with their particular characters. Every character is so different and unique. Uh, I think the performers just did a wonderful job from person to person. And I think that really makes the film work. The interactions with the, within the friend group and the uh, villains of the film – and then you get like great cameos like Thomas Jane and Cliff Collins Jr. Yeah, milk <laughs> <laughs> and eggs, bitch. <laughs> Chicken isn't vegan. <laughs> Gelato isn't vegan. <laughs> and like, it's like I remember the first time I saw that, we were like, "The Punisher." <laughs> what? Yeah, because you're still the Punisher. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was right after the. Uh, yeah. It was around that's that time. what everyone knew him as. Yeah, and I was like, it was unbelievable. So I think that Edgar Wright did a terrific job with the casting and understanding. How each actor could to, could fit the roles perfectly. Plus and, Superman. Yes. Yeah. And then you have Brandon Routh. Yeah. <laughs> and just a quick synopsis of the movie before we get more into yeah, it. Yeah. What's it about, man? As <laughs> as a bass guitarist for a garage rock band, Scott Pilgrim Scott Pilgrim has, <laughs> has never had trouble getting a girlfriend. Usually, the problem is getting rid of them. But when Ramona Flowers skates into his heart, he finds she has the most troublesome baggage of all—an army of ex-boyfriends who will stop at nothing to eliminate him from her list of suitors. Pretty great plot in terms of just like a great original idea for a graphic novel. There's a video game that was actually released. Three days before the film's released in 2010, so the movie came out on August 13th. The video game came out on August 10th, so it was a great simultaneous release. It's kind of funny how Scott has had so many girlfriends and, like, can basically get any girl he wants because he's, like, super needy and insecure. <laughs> also, the thing with Scott, it's, it's so similar to, like, when we just did an episode on um, 500, 500 Days, days of Summer. Yeah. It reminds me of Tom Hansen where you love Scott, you love Tom the first, like, five times you watch those movies. Then, like, the older you get, the more times you watch, you're like, Scott Pilgrim's kind of a dick. Yeah, he's kind of a toxic boyfriend. He's, got, he's, he's kind of messed up. And it shows that, like, when it's funny when he meets Nega Scott, the yeah. evil version, he's such a nice guy versus the regular Scott. Also yeah. a nice guy, but, like, Nega Negus guy is like super nice. They're going to go to brunch because it shows you that maybe Scott Pilgrim's the villain of the movie. He is kind of selfish. <laughs> he's he's like, selfish. He's needy. Yeah, he's so insecure. needy. Super, I love he's dating how, a high schooler. Yeah, he's so insecure about his hair. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting a little shaggy. <laughs> he's covered in a hat. So many, it's funny as hell. Yeah, this movie's yeah. ridiculously funny. I love the quest. He must defeat Ramona Flowers, seven even evil exes, as well as his band Sex Bombs. They're trying to win the Battle of the Bands to get a record deal with G Man. Gideon to finally get paid and make money and be successful and not just live in living rooms for the rest of their lives. <laughs> I like um there's a bunch of little Easter eggs and with the band in particular, if you look at uh in their first re- re- um, rehearsal, the speakers they say lame brand on them. Uh and then when they sell out and they're playing for Gideon and they're all rich and stuff. It says sweet brand yeah. on the speakers. <laughs> so many little, little things, things like that like in this that. movie. Yeah, and like there are so many great jokes. We've been quoting this movie yeah. for about 12 years, specifically the email joke yeah. where, where <laughs> Matthew tells like, did you not get my email? And Explaining <laughs> the situation? And Scott's like, I skimmed it. The, We've been saying yeah. that monthly for years. It's like, it's been a longstanding quote, like for a very I long time. It. I skimmed it. <laughs> did you get my text? This I is, skimmed it. This is so boring. <laughs> Delete. <laughs> I, think my, I think my favorite one, because there's so many little jokes like that. And it's not like this movie's like laugh out loud from start to finish. There's just a, so much great humor sprinkled throughout the, the entire film. But my favorite one is it's got to be when he's at the party and after he already dreamed of Ramona and he's and he's uh, looking for her, and then he goes to his friend and he pulls out like a terribly crude drawing of Ramona. He's like, "Do you know a girl with hair like this? <laughs> That's Ramona Flowers." <laughs> that that one it gets me every time. It's so ridiculous. They're actually gonna use originally a. Uh, drawing of Ramona Flowers drawn from the comic book, but uh-huh. then Edgar Wright thought it'd be funny to just do like a scribbled hair. It's so funny. It's so that funny. Guy knows exactly what he's talking about. <laughs> My favorite joke, it's tough to pick because there's so many good ones, but I think 
the entire Lucas Lee sequence kills yeah, me every yeah, time, yeah. especially now that like you love Chris Evans even more because he was Captain America for ten years. He was only he was just Fantastic Four before this. So like yeah. when he uses the payphones in the trailer that they're watching, because Wallace is obsessed with them, he's like, I'm gonna stalk him later. He goes to the payphone and dials a number with the handgun. I'm, I die every single time. It's so funny. And also, it's he, actually hilarious when he beats up Scott first. And he's like, you didn't know about the evil exes. He's like, oh no, I had no idea. Oh, don't worry about it, bro. Let's go grab a beer. He's like, really. Then he punches him in the face. <laughs> We're going for the Oscar this year. <laughs> it's so funny. Oh my god! In in the sidebirds, the sidebirds. The, no, it's chin strap, right? He has he has a. Uh, is it a chin strap? I, I think a, I think it's a soul patch in sidebirds. Let me check real quick. You might be right. Though. I thought it was a chin strap. Yeah, but oh my god, he's perfectly cast in the skateboarding. It's just hilarious. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a chin strap. It's a chin strap. Oh my god, it's great. The chin strap was so popular back then. Where we grew up, it was actually pretty common for guys to have a chin strap. Yeah, when I went to college, yeah. there were chin straps were in in Massachusetts. They were so, they're Boston. so bad looking. They don't. There's no way. Hey, only some the, people. The only sorry. person who could who's ever pulled off a chin strap and looked awesome is Big Poppy, David Ortiz. Okay, yeah, he's the only person <laughs> alive who's ever pulled off the. He chin also strap. has the most pristine chin strap of all time. Like, yeah, whoever shaves his face, man, it's art, guys. Immaculate piece of art. <laughs> Those of you who don't know what chin strap is, it's just like a little line of hair that goes from bottom of your chin, like like you're wearing. It travels across your jawline. Yeah, like you're wearing a chin strap and a base with a football helmet. It looks terrible. <laughs> People, with, someone right now is listening with a chin strap right now. Except like, for Big Bobby, <laughs> the person, someone's unsubscribing. <laughs> I think you look great with your chin strap, whoever you are. All right, don't listen to Anthony. You be you. You're beautiful just the way you are, Christina Aguilar. <laughs> you are beautiful. I'm in because down now <laughs> the concept of this movie there are some things that are a little off nowadays i mean for all time it's, yeah it's a little a, creepy there's a couple of jokes he, yeah well, some of the jokes are did not age well but yeah. in terms of scott pilgrim dating a 17 year old high schooler that's a bit creepy especially 12 years later yeah i think when you're younger he's 23 22 in the 22. movie yeah when you watch the movie when you're young i think it's kind of acceptable but when you're like a teenager i don't know it just seems normal but it's just kind of weird, this part. But they don't have any physical interactions. They just kind of hug and they hold hands once. Yeah. And then when she turns 18, when Knives Ch- Chow turns 18, that's when they kiss. She kisses him. So mm-hmm. at least they waited until she was 18 to have actual physical contact yeah. between them intimately. And the way I look at Scott Pilgrim with Knives Chow is it's really just a pretend rela- relationship for him because he still hasn't gotten over his e- his evil ex, his big ex, and he's hiding in this safe, pressure-free relationship that he doesn't really have to pay attention to or commit to. And for him, it's not real. And But for Knives, it's real, which is really unfortunate for Knives. Yeah. He just I, – I feel like Scott, because <clears throat> he's not over envy, he just looks – he's looking for, like, someone to spend time with to take his mind off things – so that's that's what he's going through emotionally, and so that's why he's dating, uh, you know, a teenager. <laughs> but I do love how his friends are always like giving him shit for it and calling him out on it. How weird it is! <laughs> like Aubrey Plaza in this yeah. movie, and, she's great. And, and Kendrick as his sister. That's I love the funny. bleep out scene when she swear she says the f word like a dozen times, and they just keep leaping her out with the black bar. He's like, how do you how are you doing that with your mouth? She's like, never mind how I'm effing doing it with my effing mouth. <laughs> they had to keep it PG thirteen. Yeah, I think that. Um, that might have been a last minute thing because there's a scene before where she says the F word once and they bleep that out. And they had to bleep that out, I read, because they said cock in an earlier scene. And so the MPAA gives you like one bad swear word to stay PG-13. So they, he wanted to keep that joke in. And so when they bleeped out and came up with the idea of doing the black bar over Aubrey Plotz's face, I'm guessing they were like, let's just go into that and lean into it and make a whole scene out of that. That's my guess of, of how they of why they did that scene with Aubrey because it's hilarious. She said cocky cock, I think. Yeah, that's, yeah, That's yeah, what got them yeah. the, the one yeah. get out of jail you can, free You card. can either say the F word once or like a word like that once. Then you get one, just one time in PG-13. I always feel bad when I watch this movie for Knives Chow. I love this yeah. movie in every rewatch. is just as good as the last. But Knives really gets – Scott does her dirty. You know, he, He's using her. He's using her to yeah. feel better about himself and to hide from envy basically and hide from the, the pain he's feeling from that past relationship and that breakup. And he's taking advantage of this sweet young girl who's never had a relationship before, never kissed a guy. And you know he takes advantage of her. It's heartbreaking for her. But 
yeah, I think they have a great ch- final chapter and conclusion where the, they fight together and they do their dance, dance revolution, ninja, ninja, ninja revenge yeah. sequence against Gideon, and they, you know, they come together and reconcile uh, their differences and their breakup in their past. And in fact, the ending originally was shot for the film had Knives and Scott getting back together. Uh, but test audiences didn't really like it too much, so they instead did it with Scott and Ramona starting over again. Interesting. I like, I think it works with Scott and Ramona because that's who he was obsessed with, and you he never really did have he never had feelings for for knives. And I think Ellen Wong, she might have the best performance in the whole movie. She's so good. She's really good, and she actually she does a lot of. She's a huge range of acting in this film that she, she does yeah. really well. She's been in most recently that that show Glow. Yeah, I saw. Yeah, the wrestling show. She's yeah. great in it. That that show is hilarious. It's a very good show. She gives a great performance in this movie. But you know, it's still I still feel really bad for her whenever I watch it. And the thing with with Scott, it's just like Tom Hansen in Five Hundred Days of Summer. He turns like Ramona into his dream girl obsession. Yeah, I, just because of purely off of aesthetics, it's the same kind of thing. You accept it for what it is, but he just turns her into the cliche manic pixie dream girl, which she basically was written as. Well, but also he had like a a dream about her before he ever met her. You know? True. Okay. So there's something. I think that's what drive like the curiosity of like he had like a kind of like this vision of her before ever meeting her. So I think that's also what's really intriguing to him, not just how she looks, you but know also I mean? he's just obsessed with her. <laughs> yeah, in a creepy way. Yeah, he's very <laughs> obsessed with her. <laughs> I don't know how he got in her bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> that makes no sense. He has like no good qualities. <laughs> he's creepy. He's a lurker. <laughs> he's super needy. <laughs> but uh, Ramona's hair actually changes color uh, along with her bag. You can see the star on her bag actually it matches the hair color of her every time you see her. And her hair colors actually correspond with the three goddesses from the Legend of Zelda video game. So pink for Din, blue for Nairu, and then green for Ferora. So another great reference to uh, Zelda. Also, it reminds me, I get reminded of um, the Kate Winslet and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. But I think in the... I, I think that... Clementine. This, yeah, this film feels like it goes really fast, like only over like a couple of days, but... I believe that she cha- she says she changes her hair every week, and so that means the film must take place over like a month. Yeah, it's about time. every week and a half. Yeah. But in the in the book, in the graphic novel, it takes place over the course of an entire school year. Oh wow! Or a year. Mm-hmm. So it. Ha- but they had to speed it up, obviously. Yeah, yeah, movie. yeah, yeah. I have a bunch of fun facts for this movie as well. Let's hear. Before it, we get I got some, some stuff. I got some too. So in the film, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, Scott is twenty two years old. His sister Stacy Pilgrim is eighteen. In real life, Michael Sarah is nearly three years younger than actress Anna Kendrick. Likewise, Ellen Wong, who plays 17-year-old Knives Chow, is actually three years older than Michael Sarah. He has. He's always had that baby face. Still has yeah. it, yeah. In Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, Edgar Wright told the actors not to blink to give the film a comic book vibe. There are only a few moments in the entire movie where someone actually blinks on screen. Brie Larson actually pursued this film because she was a huge fan of Edgar Wright. Had never heard of the property, never read any of the books, but she just wanted to work with Edgar Wright. And her character, Envy, she used adult entertainment stars as inspiration for how she moved and acted and spoke. So she actually watched an adult awards show and took note of the actresses and how they spoke during their speeches and basically drew from that for Envy's voice. Fits. Seems yeah, like it works. Makes, makes sense. Matthew Patel is the only evil ex that Scott defeats single-handedly. Lucas Lee obliterates himself in a skateboarding accident. The vegan police help to defeat Todd. Ramona helps to defeat Roxy. Steven Stills and Kim help to defeat the Katayanagi twins. And Knives and Ramona help to defeat Gideon. Lucas Lee was actually inspired by Wesley Snipes from Blade Trinity. I think we've talked about it on the show, but in Blade Tr- Trinity, uh, David Escort wrote and directed that film, but... Wesley Snipes was apparently horrible to work with. Ryan Reynolds has actually confirmed this as well, where Wesley Snipes would often not come to set, and he would hang out in his trailer smoking weed all day and delayed the shooting process and was apparently like a big diva on set. And so Lucas Lee was in, uh, they kind of used, infused that into the Lucas Lee character where he says something about like smoking doobies in the trailer. <laughs> it was smoking, smoke a J my Winnie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's, that was actually a reference. <laughs> Winnebago. That, that was a reference to Wesley Snipes during the set uh, production of Blade Trinity. As a clue to the fights with the evil exes that Scott will have to endure in the film, there are many exes present in the film. Tracks in the snow, shadows on the swing sets, all forming the letter X. 
as does ultimately the X-Men patch on Scott's coat and surrounding pedestrian crossing signs. It's kind of like the Departed yeah, the, X <laughs> <laughs> being everywhere. And if you watch closely when you watch the film, and you actually see several shots of the full moon before we even get into like the fighting and stuff. And you can actually see there is a hole in the moon, and then it's revealed by Ramona that her ex-boyfriend Todd actually punched a hole in the moon. So we actually see that multiple times in the film, which I think is a really great detail. And not Ellen Wong, who plays Knives Chow, actually made two homemade sex bomb t-shirts for her character to wear. She wears this in the movie, in one of them, and then the DVD it's great, yeah. extras have her wearing the other one. I like when she dyes her hair blue, and then she uh, Ramona's in the bathroom, and then Knives is just behind her like, hey, Ramona. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. How about we head on into our intermission, then we'll get back to Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Let's do it. Before we continue, the best way to support Raiders of the Lost podcast is to share us with your movie friends and family members. Use our coupon codes and become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost podcast. It's the best way to financially support the show. Everyone gets access to a weekly bonus episode on Patreon. It only costs $2 minimum to sign up for Patreon. $10, $25, and $100 to your patrons get access to our Discord where we communicate with you all day and have watch parties. $25 and $100 to your patrons get their own custom episode. You pick the topic and we cover it for you. $100 $100 tier patrons are executive producers on the main episode. You hear your name at the end of every main episode. You get a personal watch party. And after three months of being this tier, you get to come on the show for a guest segment. Thank you so much to all patrons. You support the show so much. You're the reason why we can do this full time. Raiders of the Lost podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Manscaped.com. Use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost. That is one word. At manscaped.com, you'll get 20% off and free shipping worldwide, plus maybe an extra life. Their lawnmower 4.0 Groomer is the ultimate tool for your grooming needs. It's got a 7,000 RPM motor. It's skin safe, waterproof, has a built-in light, wireless charger. You can use this thing in the shower in the dark. It's incredible. Their Boxer Breeze 2.0, we've been talking about them for months now. They are so damn comfortable and really cool patterns and designs, and not to mention... They got a little extra space down there for your junk, so they're ultra comfortable, guys, I'm telling you. Manscaped has so many other great products. They have deodorant, which I use daily. Hopefully you do too. Two-in-one shampoo, conditioner, body wash, all sorts of stuff. Join the over 2 million men worldwide using Manscaped products. Go to their website, manscaped.com. Use our coupon code RAIDERSOFTHELOST at checkout. You'll get 20% off and free shipping worldwide. Our other amazing sponsor is MoviePosters.com. Use our special promo code Raiders10 at MoviePosters.com to get 10% off your order today. They have a huge selection of pretty much every movie and TV show imaginable in their arsenal, as well as all sorts of sizes, framing, and even backlighting. So whatever your poster needs are, they got you covered at MoviePosters.com. We have a bunch of these amazing posters both on our set and decorating our home. These are high quality, super affordable, the best you can get for with your money. Now, again, head on over to MoviePosters.com and use our special promo code Raiders10 to get 10% off your order today. Now, let's head into our intermission. We'll begin with the movie quote competition. You ready, Anthony? I'm ready. This one's for me, obviously. I assume so, yeah. Why I never came home? Those nights I went to the office? I'm sure you figured it out by now. I was coming here. Human form and digital space. Heavy stuff. But I also had you. I had Encom. I couldn't be in here all the time. I needed partners to help me out. Can you say that again? Why I never came home? Those nights when I went to the office? I'm sure you figured it out by now. I was coming here. Human form and digital space. Heavy stuff. But I also had you. I had Encom. I couldn't be in here all the time. I needed partners to help me out. <sighs> I have no idea. Tron Legacy. Oh, okay. Who says it? Uh, his father. Oh. He says it to Jeff Sam. Bridges. Oh. Yeah. Nice. I blanked on that one. <laughs> <laughs> all right, here's my quote. It's two characters talking. Okay, ready? Still don't trust me? I trust everyone. It's the devil inside them I don't trust. That's an interesting saying. It's very charming. I knew a guy who said that, and he said it all the time. In fact, he said it exactly like that. Good one. 
That is the remake of The Italian Job. Correct, Mundo. Oh, yeah. Good job. Guess this movie release year, Anthony. Street Fighter. <laughs> With Jean-Claude Van Damme. Where a French man plays an American <laughs> soldier. <laughs> All he wears is American flags, and he can't even speak English. He's French. <laughs> it's so funny. I love it. He's so good, though. He's, oh, he's, he's great. great. Yeah, he's great. Jean-Claude Van Damme. We love Damme, him. Man. JCVD. <laughs> Jinx. Um, Street Fighter, I'm going to go with 1997. 94. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's older than I thought. We watched that a lot growing up. <laughs> watched this all the time when we were kids. <laughs> we did. <laughs> all right. Uh, guess this movie released here. American History X. 2002. 1998. Wow, 90s movie. Holy crap. Yeah. That movie is intense. That is an intense movie. It's intense. Movie pop quiz time. Let's How see. many Resident Evil movies are there? <laughs> oh, shoot. There's a ton. Um, I stopped watching after three. <laughs> I didn't even watch the third one. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with six. Six is correct. Nice. Resident Evil. Resident Evil Apocalypse. <laughs> Resident Evil Extinction. Resident Evil Afterlife. Resident Evil Retribution. Resident Evil, the final chapter. I can't believe they kept making them. I really can't <laughs> they believe They make it. money. <laughs> they don't make a ton of money, but they make a profit. They, they make, make enough. enough. <laughs> they make enough. Mia, hey, Mia Jovovich is getting that Resident Evil hey, money. $10 million profit $10 million profit, you know? Yeah. I, I, it's like funny. Every few years, you'd see the new trailer for the next one. You'd be like, it's getting more ridiculous. <laughs> like, hey, <they're> just, <laughs> at least they're trying. They're trying. <laughs> I'm sure they're all better than the TV show, though. Oh. Boom, roasted. <laughs> All right, here's my quiz question. What three movies was Edward Norton nominated for for an Oscar for acting? What's it called? What's the first movie he's in? Oh, crap. What's the movie? Oh, I thought you were going to get that one. No problem. With Richard Gere. Um, F. F. Can I skip it. it for now? Skip it for now. Yeah. Go back to it. Let's see. Edward Norton. Birdman? Yes. Hmm. Not Fight Club. No one got nominations for that. Nope. Even though he's awesome in it. He's so good in Fight Club. What is that movie called? Crap. Oh, man. I love it, too. It's such a good film. <laughs> <laughs> I watched it like three months ago, too. <laughs> Crap. All right, so. You got this. Did man. he get one for American? I feel like he didn't for American History X. You got this, man. So Birdman. Need some guesses, man. It's been it's been a minute. Uh, it's tough, man. I don't it's been know. a while. Primal Fear. Primal Fear. God damn it. American History X. Did he get it for yeah. Ed Birdman? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> I thought you'd get it no problem. Me too. Especially, yeah. Uh, it's okay. I'm it's a okay. disappointment. No, you're not. You're I just am. you're. Hey, you're human. You're, you make mistakes. Human. You're human. Human. All right. <laughs> Who we got for haters this week? Or unsubscribes? We got some. We got some unsubscribes. Any good ones? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Some guy wrote in our 500 Days of Summer clip. Uh, it was Adam. Adam Lakin, one, two, three. You guys clearly didn't understand the movie. Unsubscribed. <laughs> <laughs> He's just kidding, FYI. Um... That's it. We got some. There were some real haters on one of the 500 Days of Summer clips where some guy said that uh, you didn't know what you were talking about when you were talking about how he didn't he didn't actually let, love her personality. Oh, really? I didn't he's, see this. He's like, clearly, this guy hasn't seen the movie before. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I don't think he understands like, movies. He wrote like two paragraphs of comments he on thought, Instagram. He, what do you say? Tom's really in love with Summer. He said that he he said that uh, he describes her personality a bunch of times. When so I was like, uh, when. I don't know about that. When? <laughs> I've seen the movie 12 times. When? I can. Yeah, you have seen that a lot. Um, Moving on. <laughs> You're pissed. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me when. <laughs> um, There's another hater on Instagram. You'd be surprised. The, the, real, the, hate, the hate on Instagram is intense. The real haters it's are on Instagram. When our, when our reels go viral on Instagram... They come out and they are really trolly. Like They're super, super trolly. Mean, super mean. There yeah. was one that I posted. I posted a clip from our No Country of Old Men in, analyzing Anton Sugar episode. And I was talking about 
the gas station scene, the famous scene with the coin toss and the gas station attendant and why he decided to do the coin toss. I didn't make a clip about the philosophy of the coin toss, which we talked about in the episode. I was talking about why he decided to do the coin toss to this gas station attendant. It's because yeah. the gas station attendant brought up that his license plate was from Dallas. What's the weather like up in Dallas? You got any rain up there? So the fact that that guy took an interest in Anton Chigurh's life, that's what caused Anton Chigurh to decide, I'm going to do my coin toss and potentially kill this man right now. Mm -hmm. And the rest of the conversation is just interrogating him to see what what, what he'll be doing later that night. It's like they didn't even listen to what you were saying. So then he opened up his comment saying, no, stupid. And then he went to the philosophy of the coin. I'm like... That's not what this clip's about. The first thing I said is why he decided to do the coin yeah. toss, not why the he motivation does. Of doing not why it. he yeah. does it. It's why he decided to do it with this guy. He doesn't just go killing every single person he sees. Yeah. There's a reason why he does do the coin toss. What a bonehead. Seriously. But he opened up with no stupid. And this yeah. is a, a public you got, Instagram. You got, you got it's pit. a guy. It's just like Instagram's <laughs> just so much more personal and public. But it's like... You, you're just a guy. Like, yeah. what is wrong with you? It's, I, it's weird. I've noticed because we just started. We've been hitting reels pretty hard on Instagram because that's we've discovered is the best way to get growth on Instagram, which is like the hardest app to get growth on. And we've we've had some viral clips, and the hate on it, the the comments can be much worse than the TikTok comments. It's crazy. It's not no stupid is how this adult guy yeah. opened up his comment. But I do have a great unsubscribe that I forgot to mention. So a kid's opinion. On one of our movie news episodes, we were talking about uh, the pale blue eye with Christian Bale. They released the first image. Yeah. And then a kid's opinion wrote, the fact that you didn't talk more about Marvel star Christian Bale in this upcoming film is appalling. <laughs> Unsubscribed. He's referencing uh, when uh, Kate Blanchett. Blanchett's new trailer came out and the headline for like Variety was like Marvel star Kate Blanchett <laughs> instead of two-time Oscar winning Kate Blanchett. <laughs> I thought it was great. On this day in awesome. film history, today is September 26th. In 1949, the new Hollywood sign was erected. In 1964, Gilligan's Island debuted. In 1964, The Brady Bunch also debuted. In 1975, Rocky Picture Horror Show was released. In 1982, Knight Rider debuted. In 2006, The Departed was released. In 2008, Paul Newman passed away. Legend. In 2014, The Equalizer was released. And happy birthday to Linda Hamilton and John Caviezel. Did you, um, did Jim you, Caviezel. Jim Caviezel. <laughs> I was going to say John Caviezel. <laughs> um, Ethan Hawke actually made a documentary about Paul Newman this past year. Oh, that's so cool. It's a documentary miniseries. I think it's on HBO Max, but it's detailing um, the marriage with him and his wife. They were the lo- like the longest married Hollywood couple like ever, uh, and their relationship and how they lived in in the being one of the most fa- the two of the most famous people in the country. And it, it looks really great. I've seen the trailer. And uh, Ethan Hawke, I think, is just like a really cool, smart guy. So I think I'm going to check it out. Does he go into his charity and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, it too? goes into everything they did together because they formed the Newman Zone charity together, which still gives all 100% of the proceeds to charities. What a guy. The world. I, Paul Newman is such a cool star because yeah. I, I've read a book about, I, I think it was uh, Sidney Lumet that wrote, he wrote, and he directed Paul Newman a few times. And in the book, he's talking about how they had like, a meeting with for with like the cast for a new big movie and of all of the celebrities and all the actors that were there for like the table read or whatever it was Paul Newman's the only one that never he never showed up with a the assistant he never had an assistant mm-hmm. didn't really have that much of a manager but so he just kind of yeah. handled everything himself which I think is that's really cool just like not because everyone else has like two assistants in Hollywood like yeah. all these actors have like three people working directly for them but Paul Newman just does all of his own stuff on top of that he was a race car driver <laughs> yeah. Formula One like, yeah, he, he was. was a total BA like t- such a badass it's like Michael Fassbender yeah he, he, he actually raced for Porsche like Fassbender races for Porsche, Porsche. as well so oh I'm sorry <laughs> Porsche, <laughs> but uh, he's just a, he was just a really cool. I think he's one of the coolest actors to ever live. Just on and off. Uh, those movie stars, man. Him, like they don't Steve make him McQueen, like that anymore. Yeah, Eastwood, legends, man, man. legends. Like, like like just out complete like like the guys. Like they're the guys, the coolest, the dudes. coolest guys, coolest guy in any. Room. Like I'm a movie star. I'm a race car driver, and I give back to so much to charity now. Wildly yeah. charming and handsome. Yeah, too. It's, ama- it's insane. <laughs> this is the point of the show when we just start talking. Paul about Newman hand- was very handsome. We just start talking about handsome actors. The guy was a very handsome guy. <laughs> Baby blues. He's also uh, one of the most uh, talented actors of all time. He had like 15 Oscar nominations. Oh, for sure. He's been no- he was nominated a ton. It's He's crazy. Incredible. Yeah. Now let's get to my streaming recommendation for this episode, which is going to be Ender's Game. It's oh, on yeah. HBO Max. Awesome book series. They turn it into a book. 
I mean, a movie. Yeah, they turned the book series into a book. <laughs> I can't wait to read the book adaptation of it was the a, book. <laughs> it was adapted into a movie, what, like 10 years ago? Yeah, about, yeah. It was really it was good. good. Yeah, it was good. It's pretty faithful to the book. Um, Harrison Ford, Viola Davis, uh, Kate, Haley Steinfeld, and who's the kid who played Ender? The kid from... Um, Cody Smith-McPhee. Yeah, from... Power of the Dog. Power of the Dog, yeah. yeah. In the road. Yeah, that was him. Yeah, it was him. Yeah, was him. he was a good child actor. He yeah. did a good job. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, my does under my recommendation. Netflix added a masterpiece to its library. Morbius is now on Netflix. You guys gotta check it. Out. Morbius. <laughs> oh my god. I am a doctor. <laughs> I was watching. You I was, need a doctor. I, was doing, I am a doctor. I can't remember what app I was on, but I think it might have been like TikTok. And there was I scrolling, and there was a video of Jared Leto. Giving an like an eight minute interview of how he got into character for Morbius, I'm like, really? Eight minutes description? What'd you do? <laughs> Memorize the lines of the day of? <laughs> Did he feed on bats or something? <laughs> I am a doctor. <laughs> we have a Godfather shout out today. Who is it? Tyler Markham just joined our Patreon as a Godfather tier. Tyler, the day of our daughter's wedding, we made you an offer you yeah, couldn't refuse. Scott so you became a Godfather patron. Tyler, we appreciate you so much, and he actually chose a really cool movie. What do you pick? Kelly's Heroes. Oh, yeah, a great, great movie. I can't wait to review that. I don't think that Clint Eastwood. Yeah, many people have seen that movie. That's a great old. Yeah. What was it, like nineteen seventy, early seventies, maybe late seventies. I think it's early seventies. He's pretty. I think he's pretty young in that movie. Yeah, but yeah, awesome, awesome pick. Can't wait to review that, Tyler. Thank you for being a Godfather patron. It helps us keep the lights on for the show. You are the best. Appreciate you so much, pal. Now let's get back into Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Anthony, who is your favorite character in this movie? It's Lucas Lee. Lucas Lee? <laughs> How come? He's just he's, he's actually hilarious. <laughs> I think he's so funny. And when he, His scene, it's always the highlight, one of the highlights of the movie is his scene. But if I wanted to pick a main character, I would probably go with... Um, Rory Culkin's character. Kieran Culkin. Kieran Culkin's character, sorry. Wallace. Wallace. I think he's hilarious and like how he always like turns uh Anna Kendrick's boyfriend's game. <laughs> like, he's like <laughs> Hey Jimmy. Hey Jimmy. <laughs> they they cut from the battle of bands going on to the him and the in her boyfriend staring at each Not other. Again, Wallace. It was a pet it was a test and you passed it, buddy. You passed it. I think he's so funny. And I'm so glad that he's getting so much recognition with with succession where he is a scene stealer in that show and uh, he's so funny, so talented, and he did, you, you can see all of that on display in this movie where he's just a minor supporting character, but he really it makes every scene better. Yeah, Wallace is my favorite character in yeah. this movie. Everything he says is absolutely hysterical. Everything he does yeah. is funny. He's just super relatable. And if you watch Severance, he's basically this character the entire time. Uh, succession. I mean, it's, sorry, Succession. <laughs> he's not in Severance. Succession, the other show... Is Succession on HBO Max? HBO Max. Yeah, HBO Max, not yeah. Apple TV. He plays a very similar character because this is a Romulus. Yeah, yeah he's, he's really funny, but I think Karen Culkin is super talented. He's a, a child actor as well, just like his brother. What's um? What was he in as a kid? There's something that we he was saw in him as a check. kid. I remember because it was like that's. It looks like a Culkin, but it's not. Um, All three Macaulay. of them were were child actors. Yeah, the the third one has really long hair. I think unless that's Kieran Culkin. Because the third one, he's in the Scream movie. Yes, that's so. That's that's Rory Culkin. Uh, it's crazy how much they all look they, alike. They do. Those they really, two in particular yeah. look a lot alike. Um, so Rory Culkin's in the Scream franchise with the long hair, and then Kieran Culkin. He, I think he was an, a kid actor in something. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, I can't he's remember. in a bunch of stuff, but yeah. Talented family. And then I think uh, Jason Schwartzman is excellent oh in this movie. Oh, my God. He's, he's always he's great. The first time I saw it, I thought it was delightful to see him in this because he's in so many, like, cameos, yeah. and he's in all of Wes Anderson's it's, it's, movies. It's Max from Rushmore basically, in a lot of ways. Basically. It's Max from Rushmore if, if he became evil. In a villain, yeah. yeah the personality's the same. And then uh, <laughs> Anna, the cast is stacked. I mean, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Winstead as Ramona Flowers is so good. Allison Pill as Kim is excellent. Johnny Simmons as young Neil, super funny. Uh, who else do we have in this movie? We have Superman, Brendan Routh, Aubrey Plaza as Julie Powers, excellent. And I mean, Michael Sarah still riding the the high from Superbad in two thousand six, two thousand seven with this movie. So I think that he was still really relevant. Juno was a great movie that he was the the second yeah, lead a few character years earlier, as well, yeah. one of the leads in that movie as well with uh, Elliot Page. And so I think the cast is just like you said earlier, 
so well done and the cast was just cast really well and if i say cast one more time i'm glad they cast the cast really well with this cast after anthony breaks my arm i think that (laughs) i think casting michael sarah (laughs) was uh actually really smart by edgar wright because you don't want i feel like if scott pilgrim was like a strong leading man like action hero kind of actor like a chris evans it wouldn't have worked so i think having everybody guy yeah having scott as like this unassuming kind of naive innocent like very non-threatening <laughs> and then seeing him fight i think is one of the best parts of the one of the best aspects of the film it's not who you would expect to fight he's not like jacked he hasn't been training for six months for this role he's just like a bass player and that's what i think really makes the film super relatable where it's not because when you're playing a video game you're not you're not an action star you're not like most like super strong super alpha like the rock in real life but you might be playing that character in a video game and so it feels like a kid who plays video games is the video game character now. And so I think having Michael Sarah, he he fit that mold for what Scott Pilgrim's personality and physicality should have been. The studio actually originally wanted Seth Rogen, oh and they suggested him to Edgar Wright for the part of Scott Pilgrim. But Edgar Wright's not. It's got to be Michael Sarah. That just, would not have worked. Had, I think his. Michael Sarah was his first choice as well. He said that he decided to he wanted to cast Michael Sarah after he watched Arrested Development. So he was watching Hot Fuzz. Well, while he was making Hot Fuzz, he was planning this movie out uh, and doing like small pre-production elements and figuring it out. And while he was making Hot Fuzz, he was watching Arrested Development, and he's like, "This guy would be perfect as Scott Pilgrim." So he decided he wanted to cast him years before this movie was made. Now let's go over all of the evil exes that Scott Pilgrim has to defeat in order to date Ramona Flowers. First, we have Matthew Patel, who he defeats at the Battle of the Bands competition. They have a great Bollywood dance-off. <laughs> that really set the stage for that scene, set the stage for what everything, what this movie yeah, was. Yeah, it was so effective because yeah. you're watching this movie. You don't know what's going to happen yet. When you, If you've seen the trailer, you know there's like superpowers and like yeah. they're all like powerful beings and stuff like that, which is really fun and interesting. But you hadn't really seen it yet, but when they start to fight... When Scott like does his like superpower punch, you're like, oh yeah. crap, they're, they're like superheroes. Fight so- back! It's <laughs> so cool. Yeah, then you really understood. Oh, this is like a video game. This movie. After Matthew Patel, we have Lucas Lee, the movie star who Wallace is stalking, and then beats up Scott. But <laughs> Scott can only defeat him by using Wal- Lucas Lee's arrogance against him and ask him if he can do a a thingy on that rail a with thingy. a skateboard. <laughs> we think I'm stupid. It's called a grind, bro. <laughs> 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 so funny. These rails are trash. <laughs> when he goes to Ramon, he's like, what's up? How's life? <laughs> he seems nice. <laughs> and uh, I think some of those, um, the uh, stunt actors were actually Chris Evans' stunt actors in real life. I bet, yeah. The two main ones, I think. Yeah, probably was really fun to have them in. <laughs> he's good, right? Sometimes I let him do the wide shots. I just feel like smoking a doobie in my Winnie. <laughs> and then we have Todd Ingram. Who is the bass player for Envy's band Clash of in the Demon Head Clash of Demon Head and is a vegan. <laughs> I love this joke on vegans where they're better than everybody, yeah. so they get superpowers. <laughs> <laughs> being, a ve- being a vegan makes you better than everyone else. <laughs> it's so funny. You didn't know Todd's a vegan. <laughs> <laughs> and then the vegan police show up oh after uh, Scott tricks him into drinking the one with creamer in it, and then the vegan police showing up. It's just it's so damn fun. It's ridiculous. They have just laser beams from their fingertips. Yeah, the green laser gun. <laughs> I love, yeah i love that sequence and then we it's have great. roxy richter who is an ex-girlfriend of ramona's who scott doesn't want to fight because he doesn't want to hit a girl so ramona uses scott's body and limbs to kick yeah, yeah. and fight and defeat uh roxy and may whitman actually voices katara in avatar last airbender oh, that's cool yeah then we have the katayanagi twins who he defeats at the same time at the battle of the bands when sex bomb has to go up against them yeah and they have like the big ape monster go against the dragons. And then the final evil X is Gideon, who is G-Man. We find out to be the guy who runs the record label. It's the guy that the band's been trying to make it get a deal with and trying to get seen by. And ironically, it's Gideon, who we learn has an ex is an ex relationship with Ramona, but is able to control her with this chip so that she does whatever he wants. Yeah, I think Schwartzman is terrific. He's great, and because he's always. He has like this personality of perfectly playing someone who's arrogant and thinks they're better than other people, and it, he he's great at it without coming off too bad. But he plays a great asshole because Max is basically is kind of an asshole in Rushmore, 
And that was like pitch perfect role for him. Like I couldn't imagine anyone else playing that role in Rushmore. And when I see him in this film, it's it's so fun. I think he's just awesome, a terrific actor. Uh, but no one can like play comedy like he can. He's a very specific kind of actor. And this movie does such a great job, specifically with Gideon making fun of like indie rock culture, <laughs> indie artists. There's, there's always like, someone saying like, "Oh, I, it's not as good as the comic book," like, or, or they're better live, or their first album was better than their first album. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's so fun to play on that and like what's cool is yeah. whatever Gideon says because he's like the re- head of the record label. Mm-hmm. So I love the making and poking fun at indie pop, indie rock culture, indie indie style. It, it's so funny. It's so funny how much more how much money Gideon's worth when Scott defeats him compared to the other exes. <laughs> it's like seven million dollars, seven million coins compared to like a hundred coins for the others. It's great. <laughs> uh, also, this movie has a great redemption arc. I mean, Scott Pilgrim, he definitely learns a lot of life lessons by the end of the film. He he admits his mistakes and faults with Knives Chow. He says that you know it's not Ramona's fault. What happened to us, it's my fault. I'm the one who broke up with you. I'm the one who used you. So I think Scott has a re- great redemption here eventually by the end of the film, which is really you know a great story for that character. And hopefully he has a better outlook in it, towards relationships going forward. And maybe he doesn't become completely just obsessed with Ramona, but maybe more of a better boyfriend than he was with Less the needy. Cha- with, than with chat with Knives. Also, one of my favorite scenes uh, for a joke is when Knives goes to see if Scott's home and he jumps out the window behind Wallace <laughs> and then he reaches back into the window to grab his coat and then, and then he's like speed walking behind uh, knives. It's so funny. Just oh my God. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> the comedy is just, it's so terrific in this film and it really works. And then Wallace with all the guys he's sleeping with. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, I, I would say a con to this movie, some of the jokes didn't age super well. Yeah. And also any of the LGBTQ characters, they're highly sexualized in this yeah. movie, you could say, which I think it's an odd choice to do that to the two characters that are part of that community. Mm-hmm. I, I would say that that might be a con for a lot of people yeah. because they just immediately turn them into hypersexual individuals so with the way that uh, Roxy gets defeated um, with the the orgasm and then with Wallace just constantly trying to sleep with every dude he sees. Yeah, so it kind of, it's a, kind of implies that part, members of that community are more promiscuous than someone who's straight exactly. is, is kind of what it's saying so i think yeah over time when you watch the movie you, you kind of see things like that yeah, when there's, there, yeah there's kind of a there's a pretty bad asian joke in the film as well yeah, yeah. that doesn't that hasn't aged maybe at, at the yeah. time it was funny but it, we were watching it we were like oh my god that's yeah. not that's yeah, yeah. not okay yeah but it doesn't work anymore yeah so yeah. some of the jokes didn't age very well yeah but other than that i think the comedy in this movie is so unique so original so great edgar wright's such a great comedic director all of his movies make me laugh so hard he's got like a direct connection to my funny bone his editing style is really great too and used to great effect in this film as well for comedy's sake he really is the only only director to blend both great comedy and great creativity uh into movies and drama yeah i can't think of another modern filmmaker that really makes such artistic creative films filmmaking wise with great comedy he's a genius at balancing the tone of drama and comedy because yeah. a lot of his movies they're very funny i mean hot fuzz Shaun of the dead like this as well super funny but they get really serious at times the third act of Shaun of the dead they're still saying jokes but like they're all gonna die yeah, yeah. at some point <laughs> same thing with this third act. the world gets too. really serious yeah. So I think that, you know, he does a great job walking that tightrope of funny drama to funny drama. I think that he's really just suited to comedy because his newest film, um, what was it called? Last Night, Last Night, Soho. Night Soho. It was really good, but I was watching it and I was I was missing the humor that you you come to expect from Edgar Wright. Maybe it was like unfair expectations I put on that film. But ultimately, I I saw that film as kind of it didn't really totally feel like an Edgar Wright movie. I think it's because he just wanted to do something completely different, yeah. just make a ghost story, a yeah. horror movie. Because there are funny parts to it. There are, yeah. Aesthetically and style-wise, completely Edgar Wright. But I agree that the, the script, because it was co-written with a different screenwriter. I can't remember her name. So I think that's probably the reason why the tone was different, less yeah. funny than like a, a typical less Edgar, Edgar Wright. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Because cause Baby Driver... Action, plenty of drama, but also very funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I guess it didn't feel like it had the same right, the no, same energy. Yeah, Last Night in Soho yeah. feels the least like an Edgar Wright movie yeah. in terms of the writing. Yeah, but uh, at least he tried something different, you know. But Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, I think, is one of the most underrated movies in his filmography, if not the most underrated. 
it's just one of those movies that whenever I hear someone never has heard of it or seen it, I'm just like, can you please watch it like tonight? <laughs> just please watch it. I want everyone to see this movie. I want everyone to love this movie. I don't have that opinion about a lot of films, but this is one of those movies. I'm like, I wish everyone has seen this movie. It's interesting. It sh- I feel like it should be like such a big movie right now because nerd culture is so big right now. You would expect like this to be like one of the most loved movies that people watch nowadays. But it's still kind of, I think, relatively unknown, even for younger generations. I feel like it's never it's never even near like the top several hundred letterbox movies when you look at uh, most popular. In terms so, of comic book movies or just movies in general? Just in movies in general because letterbox you can look at like what's most popular for people watching and making reviews of. And you're saying because we're in a comic book world? Yeah, like comic books are so huge right now. Video games are so huge right now. And just nerd culture in general is so huge right now. It's it's still kind of is flying under the radar, I would say. This and also Kick Ass, Kick Ass as well, comic yeah. Book movies that people just kind of forgot about, yeah, or not, and, and, and maybe not even forgot about for younger people, but just never even know of, discovered, yeah, because Marvel just took over everything in DC. Yeah, I think that when people look, I don't know, maybe these two big companies have just kind of made a monopolization of comic book movies. Maybe that's why. I think that's a good point. Yeah, because I love Kick-Ass. The movie's great. And there's, yeah. I mean, Aaron Taylor Johnson, that, that was his first superhero I think that's role. a really good movie. Now he's really good movie. the superhero for the third time with yeah. Craven. But I think Scott Pilgrim and Kick-Ass are in that same category. You could put Watchmen in there, too, possibly, of like very underappreciated comic book superhero movies yeah. in this, ironically, world of obsession with comic book movies. Yeah, it's interesting. Because one like this that's so different, it, it is so much different from any other comic it book movie. It feels like a comic book when you yeah. watch it. So I, I wonder why... It, Sin City seems to have been forgotten as well. Yeah. I guess, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why. Maybe maybe the brands have just are just so strong, it's the brand, brand names. Yeah. Where, it's the same thing with comics in the real world, with, uh-huh. with physical copies. It's all about the big brands. The big brands, yeah. like the big distributors. Mm-hmm. They have like they have the sway. They have, I guess, the more money. Compared to independent comic book yeah. creators, they, they don't really get the attention. Because like when any anything's like that, yeah. art, any kind of music, same thing. Because when you compare this film to other comic book movies, like it's really in a league of its own. And it really so is. unique. It's, it's and a, really it's special. It's a special movie, yeah. yeah. Um, we love it so much. Yeah. We have it on Blu-ray. We had so much fun doing a Discord watch party with our it was great. Our patrons. It was a great pick. It actually won. We do a vote every time for movies, and this is one handedly. Yeah, everyone enjoyed it so much, and I think it was our biggest watch party yet. We had there like, were twenty two yeah. of us. I there's think there's a lot of us point. there. Yeah, so there were a bunch. it was the biggest yeah. one. And watch parties are super fun. But thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Become a patron today at Patreon.com/slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Only costs two bucks a month minimum. So thank you for the support, and take care, everybody. Chicken isn't vegan. (laughs) Gelato isn't vegan. This episode of Raiders of the Lost Podcast was executive produced by our chosen one patrons. Luke Exelston, Tyler McFly, Darren Singleton, Anthony DeMeo, John A. Graz, Becca Keen, Cody Moen, Benjamin Cook, Calvin Cam, and Lauren Smertz. Raiders of the Lost Podcast is a mirror image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.